Hi, this is Galen Oaks, Creative Director at Future Factory, a groundbreaking membership experience that bridges the cutting edge of tech with community and wellness. I'm on the edge of AI, the podcast building your bridge to a meaningful life through AI. Stay tuned. Hello, AI podcast passengers. Jump on in. Here's what's to come on today's journey. Find out an abundance of inside expert tips and tricks on how to create incredible custom AI art with MidJourney. Find out where today's guest might transfer his consciousness in 20 years and find out where to discover the coolest new AI tools to improve your life and work. All this and more, take your seat. Welcome aboard the Edge of AI podcast. Snap into your safety belt and prepare to explore the depths of the rapidly expanding AI universe. Each episode is a dispatch featuring hyper-relevant reports from the pilots, pioneers, and passengers aboard the AI rocket ship. We explore the latest use cases and developments in AI, hear from experts building tech, and learn how this disruptive force is transforming industries and society. Welcome aboard, all. I'm Ron Levy, and I'll be your captain for today's exhilarating voyage to the edge of AI. Just like most of you, I've embraced the spirit of exploration and entrepreneurship throughout my life, from starting my own business before graduating high school to traversing the world's most challenging terrains. I've always sought out new frontiers and adventures. I've conquered legal battles, built award-winning homes, and now I lead a public company dedicated to pushing tech boundaries and unlocking our full potential. Together, we're going to navigate uncharted territories within AI. The guiding star in this quest, it's going to be to ask great questions. So buckle up and get ready to embark on an amazing adventure. Let's set sail. Today's episode features Galen Oaks, a visionary digital architect hailing from Northern California, seamlessly blending the realms of technology, humanity, and nature. From Bali to San Francisco, his vibrant creativity thrives within a profession built on passion. Galen's exceptional talent and AI art expertise are on full display as a creative force behind Future Factory's Avatar NFT collection. Galen, he's been deep in ventures in photography, hemp, blockchain, and Web3. As a creative director at Future Factory, he helps implement Web3 and AI across diverse initiatives within the Future Factory ecosystem. Future Factory itself is an extraordinary lifetime membership space, seamlessly fusing a nightclub, art galleries, a marketplace, yoga studio, and more. They're combining physical with our wonderful Web3 world. But this immersive and communal experience transcends boundaries and offers unparalleled access to lifetime benefits in cities like LA, San Francisco, Denver, and more. So Galen, welcome to the Edge of AI. Thanks for having me, Ron. All right, fantastic. So we will get into Future Factory a little bit. We know Paul Hemming is the brainchild behind it, and it's kind of pretty amazing, but we'll jump into that a little bit later. But let's start off with a little background. Tell us about your experience as an artist and your profession prior to integrating AI into your practice. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an artist through and through. I never went to college or art school. Luckily, I had two incredible parents that were artists who always empowered me and finding my own way in the world. So I got my first camera when I was 16 years old as a birthday present. And I was into photography and graphic design. When I was 
20, I went to a junior college for a year in Chico and I got A's and incompletes. I did great in all of the classes that I liked, like advertising and film and the classes that I didn't like, I didn't go to. And after a year of getting A's and incompletes, my father didn't want to continue funding my college career. And so I had saved up money to go to art school in Portland and then that didn't end up happening. So all the money that I used to go to art school, I went to Bali with and I ended up taking photography at the very first Bali Spirit Music Festival. And I offered my services as trade, as a contribution to the festival. And during that time at the shooting at the festival, I met all these incredible artists from all around the world. And in meeting those artists, it inspired me that I could make a living as an artist. And that's what I decided to do. So came back from Bali, moved to San Francisco, bought a DSLR camera and a laptop with a credit card, and just started going around to all these different venues taking photos for free. And one of the nights that I was at a venue, it was Temple Nightclub. And I was taking photos of these incredible body artists that were airbrushing people's faces. And Jenny Dozier, the marketing director of Temple, came down and got her face painted. And I took a really incredible portrait of her. And then she offered me a job taking photos at Temple, which ultimately turned into me becoming the media director of Temple Nightclub and forming Temple TV which was a website that I built. And the website featured videos that I would shoot during the week of artist features. This was kind of the origins of Mirrors Gallery, a company that Paul brought to fruition in 2012. And so I would do like artist features and artists he liked. I would do nightclub recaps. I went to Burning Man with them and had a lot of fun creating content for Temple. And then after Temple, I started a company called Manifest Media, which was a production company that focused on after movies for festivals, the 5D Mark II with the camera that I had at the time, it revolutionized media. Before then, it was really hard to take video. And that, that small DSLR that Canon came out with, it made digital video a lot more accessible for everyone. And so at the time that I was doing festival recaps, there wasn't really anyone doing video. So I kind of created a niche and I built Manifest Media up to a point where then video was a lot more prevalent in the industry. And so then I kind of switched back over to photography and did artist portraits. And then I created a company called Dope Creative, which was a company doing content for cannabis companies. It was a creative agency for cannabis content. And I built that up for four years. And as I was doing all this media stuff, I've been involved in startups. I was involved in a music startup called Unveil. I was a co-founder of a startup called Open Call, which was an app to connect photographers and brands and makeup artists and stylists for photo shoots. And we had some incredible product designers build it. They worked for Instagram. So we had Apple and Instagram designers building this product. We went to market. We didn't have enough money for marketing. So eventually that product fell flat. I do want to bring that product back at some point. So always an artist with a passion for entrepreneurship. And to this day, my main focus is Future Factory and as being a creative director there. But I also have... A, I'm also a partner of a new DAO that's launching called ARC, which is going to be planting hemp in Thailand and sequestering carbon from the atmosphere and distributing the carbon credits that we're generating from the sequestering of the carbon to our DAO. So like, there's a lot of different things that I'm a very multifaceted person. It's hard to kind of break down everything that I do. But my main focus right now is working with Paul as a creative director of Future Factory. And Paul hired me to be that position because of my experience working with launching NFT projects, with integrating AI into artwork. You're covering a lot of ground and that's absolutely phenomenal. So Galen, simply amazing. And what you did is you defined a, I'll call it a complex life. Like you don't sit still, you're always looking at what's next and you just covered a lot of ground, which is phenomenal. I want to take 
and back up just a little bit because in your heart, you're an artist. You absolutely are that. You've proven that. What you do is very unique. The fact that you grew up in Northern California and it was rural, and then the fact that the time you spent in Bali being very, very inspirational. Bali, as most of us know, when it comes to nature and rural, I mean, it's absolutely spectacularly gorgeous, as is Northern California. And I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't focus on that as a foundational root of the art that you create today. Am I off base by saying that or anything you want to add around that? No, not at all. So I think my father is a big part of who I am today. His name is Bailey Oaks. He has a sculpture in Santa Monica that marks the winter solstice. Say mid to late 80s, he was a very popular artist. He was being funded by a lot of entrepreneurs during the dot-com boom before the bubble burst. And he had a studio in downtown Los Angeles on Mateo Street in the arts district before it was the trendy arts district. We had kid parties with like members of the Philharmonic playing music and taiko drummers. And so I was born in this kind of world. And then he ultimately moved to Northern California to raise because he didn't want to raise us in the city. And he instilled in me this idea of the natural world and how we're all a part of it and how incredible it is. He created a book called Sculpting with the Environment, which was all these different artists around the world that were integrating art and using art as inspiration and kind of showing humanity how we're all connected to and we're all one. He did projects to raise awareness for global warming and the impact that it's going to have and all these things. So my father instilled in me that love for the natural world and kind of our job in communicating how integral and important it is to our success as humanity living in coexistence with everything. So that was a big part of my upbringing and something that I still bring into my life every day. And what drives me the most is to inspire people to connect with themselves, heal themselves, connect with each other, heal each other, and ultimately the world, because it all starts from within. And if we can't come to peace and love ourselves, then we can't do anything. You hit two belief systems of mine, and that is in the world today, at least in the first world and what we do, a lot of people spend a lot of time in front of their laptops and on computers and on social media. And we all know this. And the majority of their time is spent sedentary in that environment. And then I absolutely believe that one needs to get in touch with the world around them and nature with the electronics turned off. Those are two different things. And when you do get out into nature, whether it's hiking or doing something out there, maybe doing something with your hands, there's a part of you that's being built up by doing that. And I think if you only did that and didn't do the tech, you're not going to be able to take part in a lot of the adventures that are coming in these next decades. And if you only do the tech, you're going to be missing out of a piece that probably can build you, I don't know, in a more substantial way, we'll call it, right? So I think they're both very important. And what you've shown through this intro is you have a great balance of both. And unfortunately, it's not as common as it should be. And I just want to point it out. It's a really important factor, I believe, in kind of where you're going. And through your journey of these different businesses and different things you did, the marketplace is, that's what I'll call it, that you described about photographers and makeup artists and bringing them together. And you said you want to come back to that. And by the way, I think it's fantastic. Well, when you come back to it with what you're doing in AI, I'm going to imagine that AI will be part of it. It'll be the next gen of your original idea. And to me, that is like, you do a lot of things and over time, they all come back and come together based on your newer experiences. So just some point outs on really a pat on the back for your active life in both the natural nature side, as well as the tech side. And I think it's going to pay off really, really well. So let's jump over to how did you discover mid journey? 
And what drew you to using AI as a tool for artistic expression? Because in a lot of people's worlds, not necessarily people even listen to this podcast, but in typical worlds, they seem contradictory, but you use AI as a tool for artistic expression. And I know there's a personal story there and feel free if you can to go ahead and share that. Yeah. So growing up in a rural part of Northern California, I grew up in a town called Westport. Our address was right off Highway 1. So basically grew up on a point. The closest village, Westport, had a one building. It was a post office, market, and gas station, and really small population. So I grew up in a very rural area. We didn't have TV. And I finally got access to media with a 56K modem. The internet and technology was the way that I was able to explore the world without being in a place that was culturally rich, like a metropolitan place like San Francisco or Los Angeles, other places. So I spent a lot of time at home and because of where I was located and my love and desire to learn more about the world, I really kind of dove deep into that. And also just wanted to give kudos to Mendocino High School. They had an incredible technology program. The person that taught me Final Cut Pro actually wrote the manual on Final Cut Pro. We were very lucky to have a very advanced tech lab. I was installing mod chips and Xboxes to play burned games and building websites and making movies. I think definitely the Mendocino High School and their tech lab that uh, was incredibly well done. And the, the resources and teachers we had were a big part of my development in the art and technology space for sure. And then I can go into the next question. So I first learned about AI with the Google Deep Dream or whatever. Those very psychedelic images that were lots of eyes looking out. And it was like really psychedelic and weird. You'd... So that was my first experience of AI art. And that was a couple of years ago. And then I learned about deep fake. And there's people that were kind of cloning people's presence and being able to emulate different faces and sounds. And then all of a sudden... I start hearing about, I think Dolly was the first AI image generator that I learned about. I got on the wait list for that. And then someone told me about Midjourney. And I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. I went on Midjourney and the same day I discovered Midjourney, I was able to log into Discord and start generating images. And at the time, I was going through a pretty hard time. I been emotionally closed off for most of my life. And I finally kind of let love in and had an incredible connection with a woman. And then that ended and I was left with this confusion and pain. And I was, and this happened right around the time of discovering Midjourney. And so I think that people medicate in different ways. And I have always medicated in my life through just working, creating. That's the way that I transmute everything that I've been going on. So I think I'm lucky to have been able to take a lot of the hardship in my life and turn destruction into creation ultimately. And in July, I was very hurt and confused and lost. And so I kind of just took all of that confusion and looked for possibility in creating new worlds and new beings and new environments and spaces with mid-journey. So to date, I've created 54,000 images, which translates to around 880 hours of time on Midjourney. I was pretty obsessive with Midjourney. It was my outlet. And I think my time spent ultimately turned into something incredible because I was able to create art that actually Brock Pierce auctioned off my first piece of AI art, which was pretty cool. 
it, Brock Pierce auctioned off a piece, my first piece of AI art for Rainbow Lightning Burning Man Camp fundraiser. So that was really cool. Brock Pierce has always been an inspiration for me in the blockchain space. I've had my art featured. I was part of Open3 Accelerator that uh, the most famous artist, Matty Moe, put together. And then ultimately now Paul's seen kind of what I created over the last six, eight months turned into me being the creator of the NFT avatars for Future Factory. I mean, that's a great dovetail because Paul's done at Future Factory is really fantastic. Those of you that want to keep up on sort of what's going on in the world of AI and all this Web3 tech that's going on, certainly there's a lot to get from Future Factory. And I think it's amazing. But the Avatar NFT collection that you've done, maybe we can screen share a little bit, take a look and explain the different types of avatars, give a little insight into how your efforts to create cohesive art across 10,000 images panned out. And let's go to some visuals and have a look at that if we can. Cool. Absolutely. So this is Midjourney. So when you first go to Midjourney's website, they direct you to their Discord and they tell you to start going into these newbie rooms. And so when you're in these newbie rooms, it's basically just like an open forum where all these people are co-creating together in one channel. And it's kind of... When I first got it, I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. You can do like... You type forward slash, you hit imagined. And then you can be like person having a Zoom meeting in a living room. And I didn't really add any other prompts to that, but we can see what happens with that. So when I just type that, you can see that like other people are creating different types of things right here. So there's a painting of a profile of face by Ivana Pasavic. You can reference different artists and styles. And so these are different people live creating all this live right now um, on midjourney.com. What's really great there is you can see those images from all these other users and you can see their prompts as well. Yes, exactly. So here's a person having a Zoom meeting in the living room. So you can kind of see like, and that's like with very little direction, that's kind of what it puts out. And then if I wanted to make this one bigger, I would hit U1. Or if I wanted to get a variation of that, I would do V1. So each of these is an upscale. The number correlates to the number that's in the grid. And this is a variation. And if I didn't like any of them, I would just hit that refresh and then it would create a different one down here. So when I first got into Midjourney, this is where I was. I was in this newbies thing and it was like, it was hard to find my artwork and it was just kind of like messy. And then I discovered that you can click over here on the right-hand side to Midjourney bot and you can do message. When you message it, you're in your own private channel. There's nothing else to see in this channel except for what you're talking to with the bot. The one thing I would like is if you could save create almost like albums of artwork in Discord because I've tried to search keywords that I've used in the past for things and it doesn't do a good job of searching the entire conversation. And because I've created artwork and then tried to recreate the artwork and forgot some of the prompts. And so I went into the search to try and find the prompt that I used to create it and it wasn't there. So then I decided to make a prompt library. So on notes, I have every piece of artwork that I've created for the futurists. And above it, it'll say the prompt. So for instance, these are the prompts. And the, the two prompts that mattered the most on creating these. I'm going to interject real quick for the listeners here, the watchers. And that is these simple lessons, some of the things you're saying, we may have people here that have spent countless hours on mid-journey and they already know a lot of this. But if you're newer to it, these little things like the library for your own prompts and keeping notes about them, what work the outcomes are, this is the type of thing that instead of figuring that out when you're hundreds of hours in, 
do it from the beginning. You just heard from the master. You do it from the beginning and it'll save you a ton of time and just get you leapfrogging very quickly. Absolutely. And there's probably more resources now than this, but these are resources where it kind of like, where's one of them? Yeah. So this is interesting. This is a mid-journey artist spreadsheet that someone put together. This is from version three. So it's a bit outdated now since mid-journey is on version five. But in the beginning of mid-journey, they trained these machines with libraries and catalogs of pre-existing art that was available online. I think they tapped into DeviantArt and a lot of other databases. And so this is actually a spreadsheet that breaks down each artist and if they're artist style trained. If you like any of these styles, for instance, you can reference... It's not loading the whole thing right now, but you get the idea. And this is a big part of how they were training AI. So there was people on Discord that would be referencing different artist styles to create artwork in that style. So when going through Discord and creating artworks, I was realizing that there were pieces that I had created that were to archive in my message channel with the Midjourney bot that I wasn't able to figure out what prompts I was using to create the images. And so on Apple Notes, I created a document that lists out all of the different prompts that I would do. So every single time that I would generate a piece of artwork, I would save the initial four up of those pieces and then above that, write the prompt. So then I could go back in time. And if I decided I wanted to do something similar to that, again, have a very easy reference where I could have a database to kind of see which prompts created which images visually. Yeah, it seems critically important because it's just your own personal catalog. And that's how your art builds off of the last one, off of the last one, off of the last one, as you come up with new ideas and concepts. I mean, these images you're showing us as you're scrolling through are pretty much amazing. I mean, they're the fictional creatures, people, aliens, however you want to describe them. Not very long ago, Hollywood would pay a fortune for someone to draw this up. And here you are able to do it and refine it in such a way that kind of amazing. So maybe some insights on shaping the creative process with Midjourney. You certainly covered a fair bit of it, but specifically, what prompts and techniques do you use? Because you've created a beautifully integrated, large, but also very cohesive collection. And that in itself is an art form. So how do these have a consistent character to create more of a collection instead of just random images? Yeah, absolutely. So the creation of these avatars really stem from Paul's vision to create otherworldly beings for the membership of Future Factory. And I came on as a consultant for three months to work with Paul on kind of creating this new Web3 layer of Future Factory. The initial plan with the avatars was to use Midjourney to generate concept art that then a 3D animator would go in and take and turn into an actual 3D object, realizing that Paul wanted to create so many of them. And then we realized that it was going to be too time-consuming and costly to generate thousands of one-on-one 3D characters. And so we decided to kind of really lean into Midjourney to generate all of these artworks. And Paul liked the PFP kind of style of having the head framed up, head and shoulders, and wanted to create a bunch of different characters. And so I would sit with Paul and he would just talk and share ideas for all these different beings and characters and deities. And I would take notes on all of the different things that he was talking about. And then on my time alone, I would generate iterations of these archetypes that he had communicated to me. So in order to kind of create a cohesive style 
across the collection, the first thing that I needed to find was the framing, right? When you're a director or a photographer, the first thing that you decide to do when creating an image is you decide what lens you're going to use. You put on a wide angle because you want to get a wide frame. You put on a telephoto lens because you want to get a tight frame. So um, coming at this from a photographer DP standpoint, the first prompt in my mind should be defining the frame of which you want to have your character appear or your scene appear. So the first frame that I use for all of the characters in this collection is 50 millimeters. You can use other prompts to define the scene and how wide it is. You can do wide, expansive landscape, widescreen, portrait. You can use different lens styles. So whatever in your mind works the best to define that space of area that you want to capture with mid-journey, that should be your first prompt. So my first prompt was 50 millimeters. And it was a really cool prompt to use because as you can see, and one of the images here really, really well, the image at the top right, it's a portrait of a woman wearing a space helmet. She's blue, very futuristic. And in the background, there's a desert landscape, but it's out of focus. And so you can tell that it's emulating what a 50 millimeter would do in real life, which is really cool. So that was the first prompt I used. That's your photography background coming back to help you with what's going on here and guide the machine. I love that. Yes, exactly. Defining the framing was very important. So I did that in the beginning with 50 millimeters. And then the other most important prompt that I used in creating these pieces was Octane Render. Octane Render was a prompt that I borrowed from seeing what prompts other people were using in the mid-journey Discord. There was a few more advanced channels that I poked around in that were doing characters and scenes. And Octane Render seemed to be a very popular prompt that people were using to define the visual style of the pieces. As you can see with this image, you can really see the definition of the character in the foreground and the background blurred out in the background, like a 50 millimeter lens would emulate. So this is a really good kind of example of 50 millimeter done well. And for those of you that might be watching and not be able to see the screen, depending on what format you're watching on or what platform you're watching on, they're pretty powerful images. And it is exactly that. The backgrounds are very blurred, like you get with a typical physical camera. And the images themselves are kind of lit spectacularly. Yeah, you can really get into very specific styles of lighting and different things like that. But with the prompts, I focused more on the character sets than the actual lighting and things of the characters because I wanted the characters to have more variation. If you're looking to create a broad scope of characters, it's good to find a balance of doing something that is defined, but not, not so defined so that everything doesn't look the same when you're creating it. And that's the collection answer, right? That's how you're getting to a collection. Yeah, exactly. So for this prompt that you're looking at right here, it's kind of like these space age, basically the prompt says it all. It's a future retro 1970s futuristic style, psychedelic Burning Man alien beings, vibrant color, futuristic artistic creative outfits, minimal background, and then plus octane render. So that's the prompt used for creating these otherworldly Burning Man beings that are incredibly fashionable with face paint, masks, headdresses, just really psychedelic, cool space outfits. We can see four on the screen right now, and each one of them is totally different than one another. The different helmets, the different faces, they are very different than one another, yet there is a foundation of, of similarities. So I did some Pepe's and then some like Geisha's, Space Cat's, 
some kind of uh, Aztec chief warriors, some like psychedelic priests, Dia de los Muertos, artistic skulls. So in the beginning, I wasn't defining the background. I was just using 50 millimeters in the front, head and shoulders facing front, and then kind of some different prompts and then octane render. And Paul, towards the end of building the collection out, Paul realized that he liked having a more minimal background for the avatars because it brought more focus into the avatars and also was more similar to the PFP collections, which don't really have scenes in the backgrounds. They're all like minimal colors. And so towards the end of the collection, I started creating color background in the back, worm gradient color background. By adding that gradient color background, it took the subject and it actually took it out of an environment and just put colors behind it. So it's a cool example of how you can really start to add cohesion by framing it, the style, having all of them have a colored background. Like these are all really cool like tips and tricks to kind of create a cohesive collection. Another good lesson for some of you newbies or newer people in it is think collection. And I think Gillian's pointing out here are just golden. You're able to take hundreds of hours of work that he's done and take some of the bigger points out of it. And it's pretty fantastic. First of all, thanks for sharing your techniques with us. I mean, it's been really, I think, really amazing to actually see the demo. So that's great. What advice do you have for individuals that are just getting started with mid-journey or even AI art in general? Do you have any specific tips or recommendations for exploring and experimenting on the platform and almost do it like you're talking to your former self, right? To go back and talk to yourself when you were started, what advice could you share that would shortcut the process? Absolutely. So I would say the first hack is if you really want to take it seriously, don't skimp on the monthly subscription. I would go pro from the get. I started with the standard and ended up spending $300 a month on buying more fast hours because I was just nonstop on my computer all day long. Designing things on mid-journey was basically the main thing that I did from July to March. And this being 2023, just for reference. Yeah. So I discovered mid-journey the beginning of July, 2020. And from July to January, it was just nonstop on that. Then started working with Paul in January on the Futurist Collection. And we basically did the entire Futurist Collection from January to March. In January, there was no Futurists done. I don't think I even really started until mid-January on them. And at the end of March, we did a soft launch of Future Factory with the website live with 1,111 unique generated images that were avatars that were the membership. Getting the pro plan from the get-go is super important. I think if you really want to take it seriously, you'll have to spend less money buying fast hours. So the initial investment of the $60 a month is good. Another great thing about the pro plan is if you plan on doing anything commercial, you need to have the pro plan because the pro plan gives you the rights to use them commercially for whatever you want. When I first discovered Midjourney, they were asking for a percent of sales if you were selling more than $20,000 a month. They were asking for 10%. And if you were over a million dollars a year, they were asking for 20% of your sales don't quote me on this. This is my own speculation, but I feel like they stopped asking for a royalty because they weren't able to give royalties to any of the artists that they were using to train the machine. So I feel like it was unfair for them to charge a royalty when they weren't paying out royalties themselves to the people that helped them build the algorithm that creates all these incredible images. 
And that's going on in the industry. There's presently some litigations around that subject and some just warning letters that have gone out by by names of people we would all know, but I won't go there right now. But they are now selling a product. And if they train that product on someone else's information, that creates a legal battle. So those things are going on. And that's fascinating stuff because it's such a nascent industry. Yeah. So I can understand the frustration of artists that people are probably replicating people's artwork and selling them and making money off of it. But I say to all artists, you are the true visionaries and everyone else that's stealing or borrowing your styles is borrowing your styles. And so you can still create original things because ultimately you're the visionary. I feel like creatives, if they embrace the possibilities that lie in AI, they can create far more. Like for me, for instance, as an artist, I love artificial intelligence because I'm able to radically express and create everything in my mind faster than I could have ever imagined. And so it's really helped me elevate and expedite what I've wanted to create in the world. Another cool thing, if you're into AI, is Midjourney has a magazine. And I think it's like $5 a month. In it, you can explore all these different incredible images. And it's really cool because they actually include the prompt at the bottom of everything. So you can actually see the image and the prompt that was used to create the image. So it's a really cool curated... When I first discovered Midjourney, I was creating fashion designs. I was designing homes. I was designing jewelry. I was just like, I'm an artist and I've always wanted to create all these different things. And I was able to create everything that I wanted in a minute. I love that Midjourney is putting out a physical magazine. It's again, bringing the tactile, the physical to our Web3, which really kind of segues into what's to come with all this, right? I mean, there's a lot of fears around AI. People can kind of narrate different fears that they've got. And there's a lot of them that are founded there. They really make a lot of sense, but I would like to put them in the word of cautions more than fears. And how do we address that moving forward, right? So are you afraid of AI in any way? And if so, what advice do you have for addressing these fears and the challenges that AI can bring? I like to rephrase any fear as excitement. I'm a big believer of the law of attraction and what you think, what you speak, what you create ultimately manifests and creates the world that we all co-inhabit. So I don't like to fear anything. I like to restructure any feelings that I have towards what's happening in the world and look at it in all of the possibilities that it could be constructive and beneficial to humanity. I know that there's a lot of people that fear it because it is going to expedite a lot of the already pre-existing human conditions that aren't ideal. But for me, I want to create the possibility that with AI and the right intention behind it with training it, because right now we're training it. So we need to put as much positivity and intention into what we're creating with it and what is learning about us because it's all input, right? So we just need to continue to output the best that humanity has to offer. So that intention can go into the creation of this new thing that we're (laughs) seeing come to life right now. That is an absolute fascinating perspective. And it's so true because outside of tech, we've heard it that your intentions become a magnet and it's a magnet for negative intentions or things you're voicing or positive, right? And we've heard that a long time, but in fact, That's a fact within AI. AI is learning from everything it's doing and we're doing. So what you just said is really powerful. Be careful what we're putting out there and what we're putting in there. 
And it'll make a big difference as AI itself grows and then the tools of AI that we're all using. Absolutely. So with everything in the world, you can be fearful of it. I mean, there's a lot of things to be afraid of, right? Outside of AI itself. We're living in a very exciting time and we've been living in a very exciting time for some time. So I want to focus on all the good that I can do in the world versus focusing on all the things that could happen that wouldn't be ideal for me or for the rest of the world. Understood. And it makes a lot of sense. So dovetail a little bit, what is next for you? What kind of projects are you developing now? And what are the planned outcomes for those projects? I have a lot of things that I want to create in the world. One of the things that I kind of have on the back burner right now is a product to help adolescent adults process what's happening and find peace with themselves through technology and a product. I have a hemp venture that I've been working on for the last four years that hopefully will help to replace petroleum-based plastics and create new building materials such as hempcrete. As in my life, I have my main focus and then I have other things that I kind of are going to be there and maybe now is not the right time. So the right time for me and what I'm creating right now is everything that we're doing at Future Factory. Paul is an incredible visionary and one of the best humans that I've ever met. I've met a lot of people and I really value his integrity and his heart and what he's looking to create and what he has been creating for the last 16 years with Future Factory. So I'm incredibly excited to be working with an organization that is acting as a bridge to onboard people to Web3, to onboard people from nightlife to wellness, from wellness to art, to technology, to co-working. So we're kind of bridging a lot of different worlds with what Future Factory is. And that's what I'm most excited about right now. I mean, this is decentralization at its best. And the world is changing like a snowball. It's just going faster and bigger as the years have gone on. In our industry, I would say as the, the hours go by, that's how quickly it happens. And that's the magic about Future Factory. And this is going to sound like a plug. I don't mean it so. What I really mean to say about it is, In days gone by, there was a big company or a big organization that you couldn't get into, you couldn't get access to, and they were designing our future, right? And what we'd receive. We weren't part of the conversation. You take something like Future Factory, you get all these like-minded people engaging in blockchain, Web3, I'll even put crypto in there, and certainly AI and the NFTs, all of that, all those things merge at different times in different ways. And to take that and have the physical world, to have a physical place in these major cities now and growing, to combine all that, be around like-minded people, I know for sure that relationships are being made today from people that are just getting in and are curious that moving a few years down the road, those relationships will be working together and creating amazing things. And that's what makes this an incredibly wonderful time. And to have a place that you can get a membership or two and get a lifetime membership and participate in that, participate in the growth. And as you, Galen, said it, you said it really well. AI is in large part, not solely, but in large part, what we're putting into it. It's learning off of that. So I think it's just critically important. And look what you're doing with it. Through Future Factory, they've got an amazing artist that has many disciplines and has put them there. So I think it's just phenomenal. Thank you. We're living in exciting times. and. Paul and all the people that we've been meeting through Future Factory give me a lot of hope in the future and what we can co-create together. Fantastic. Let's move on to segment two. So it's time for AI Wants to Know. So AI is curious, just as everybody listening here is, and certainly we are. So these are 10 quick questions, and they're designed to uncover mysteries that AI longs to comprehend but can't quite grasp yet. So think of it as 
sort of a snack break on our journey. Keep the answers quick, but the safety belt sign, that's off. So let's explore more of who you are and what makes you tick. And are you ready to get started with that? Yes, sir. All right. What's the first thing you ever remember being proud of? I think it was getting most improved player in soccer when I was a sophomore in high school. Awesome. And that's a great one, by the way. Back to being outdoors and being active. What do you need help with that you wish you didn't? Getting billionaires to pay taxes and put all the money into changing the world. We could have a completely different world if we were different about how we manage money and how we allocate funds and resources to people. What do others often look to you for help with? Tech support, creativity, advice. I'm going to plug myself right here. I have a website. It's inpower.guru. And I have opened two 15-minute slots five days a week, Monday through Friday, for free advice and consultation. So if you'd like to ask me any questions for 15 minutes, inpower.guru is a website where I have Calendly set up and you can schedule an appointment with me. Oh, that's amazing. Well done. Uh, By the way, in answer to what others look for help you from, I think MidJourney's got to be on there as well. (laughs) Yes. So what do you treasure most about your human abilities? My vulnerability. Love that. Perfect answer. So throughout your whole life, what is the most consistent thing about you? Passion, persistence, and kindness. What a beautiful list. So throughout your whole life, what has changed the most? Confidence. I assume you mean that has grown. Yes. What do you find strangest about reality? That we could be living in a space that goes on forever. And the idea of having no limits on something is quite a thing to comprehend. And also the fact that I think at some point we're going to realize that there's no separation of binary and what we are. We're protons and electrons pluses and minuses, ones and zeros, essentially. And so I'm excited to see what the future brings. And I think that AI is going to be a bridge to discover a whole new layer of our existence. So when most recently do you remember feeling the most alive? Falling in love with this woman that I moved into my house after only knowing her for six weeks. Love that. By the way, we could go on another hour about that, but we won't. What's your most unique trait? My ability to adapt. And I'm a very resourceful person that can evolve quickly. Which is needed when you're in an industry and a passion that does evolve quickly. So if you weren't human, what would you be? I mean, if I wasn't human, I'd probably be a synthetic organic android with my consciousness that's been transferred over to it in like 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Now that, all right. Based on that, I'm going to throw out a bonus question. You ready for this one? Let's say you never touched a computer. You never lived in the internet world, the computer world, or any of that. And you were Northern California in a very natural setting, growing up in nature, going to that wonderful high school you mentioned. What would you have done with your life there if there was no computer connectivity? Grow cannabis. All right. There you go. (laughs) You didn't hesitate. I kind of love that. It's kind of cool. Well, it's a big part of Northern California. A lot of my friends, family, extended family. I mean, that's just the culture up there. Yeah. Changed a lot now with commercial grows because a lot of the commercial grows are pricing the smaller mom and pop operations out because they can't compete with the scale that these other people are growing at. And it's actually affecting a lot of people that had their livelihood depend on it for so many years and built the industry. No, it makes a lot of sense. 
So we're going to head to segment three right now, AI leaders and influences. And it's a tough one. This is a brand new industry. There's certainly some individuals that stand out and people recognize names. But some of us that work in the industry, and I'll just say, you look at the 800 plus hours you've spent, sometimes we're not watching others, right? And actually, I'll spare the name, but it's a famous comedian that I was speaking with that I know. And I asked him what he thought of different comedians. And he specifically said he doesn't listen to any. He said, why is that? He said he didn't want it to influence his own art. We would think it would be the opposite, but that was an interesting answer. I think there's a lot of power there. So are there any leaders that you notice in the world of AI? I don't know, that you would look at a long-form interview like this. You'd like to pick their brains on and get some real deeper understanding of them and what makes it tick. Does, does anybody come to mind? Yeah. Well, just to mention, just a, a note off what you communicated, I don't think Prince listened to anyone else's music either. A lot of artists kind of put themselves inside of their own vacuum so that they could be more intentional with what they were creating. And the beginning of my process, I was on mid-journey for a little bit going through different channels, but then kind of decided to just do my own thing in my own way and not really look to other people for inspiration. And I think because I didn't go to art school either, it allowed me to shape a very unique and distinct perspective in the world with my art. But to answer your question about other influencers or to your question of what other leaders and influencers are in the space, I would say the most prevalent artists that I saw first was Rafiq Anadol with the art that he was doing. Incredible stuff. I think he was definitely the first AI artist that I saw at Art Basel two years ago. He had this incredible square screen right on the beach. And I saw a photo of it and I thought it was fake. I thought it was a fake photo because it looked computer generated. It was this huge square screen on the beach. There was no wires. It was like a sunset behind it. I was like, what the heck? This is so cool. And I guess they set up trust and then had an LED screen and then ran cables under the sand, but it was really cool. I think NVIDIA is incredibly important part of AI with the processors and chips that it's creating. And if you bought NVIDIA, even this past October, good job. <laughs> it's kind of a lot recently. I was telling friends to check it out before it really popped off. OpenAI is definitely the best chat generator in the space. I've tried a lot of them, Bard, etc. And OpenAI version 4, again, pay for the subscription to have access to version 4. It's way better. If you want to use it seriously, spend the money. You'll save a lot of time and it's worth it. So yeah, OpenAI version 4... Midjourney is an incredible resource. They have different versions. Version five is almost too photorealistic for me. It's crazy. Like you could create a photo that looks, a portrait that looks exactly like someone with like beads of sweat off their face. I like version four and even version three sometimes, depending on what I'm going for, because of the different styles it can create. Version three is, uh, and four kind of is. You can do more painting type styles. Like if you're looking to do stuff more abstract and then the version four gets more realistic and then version five is just ridiculous. It's crazy what it can do right now. Through Future Factory, we met a lot of incredible people, including Todd Drazas. And he's the president of Artificial Intelligence Los Angeles, AILA. And he's kind of like doing a lot of incredible events, educating people about all the different possibilities of AI in Hollywood and beyond. We met him and we're going to be doing some events with him and he's a futurist. So I think he'd be a good person to get on the platform. He's based in LA. You don't happen to know his Twitter handle so you can share it for everybody here and they can track him. That would truly be fantastic. It's a great list. I, I want to throw in there that the great thing about our industry, it's not a winner take all. There's all kinds of opportunities and things that are coming to be. And as people develop 
in the niches, right? For exact uses, that AI platform, this one, this one might be built on some of the existing ones we know now, but it's almost like apps on the iPhone, right? They just keep populating. The more they do that, the more NVIDIA should stay busy and improving their chips because the growth is absolutely exponential. It's incredible to watch. You could be using one of these platforms that you absolutely love, and next week another one comes out and it fits you even more so. That's why we need to stay really close informational-wise with each other and grow with this industry. Absolutely. So this is Todd Terrazas. Yep, T-E-R-R-A-Z-A-S. It's at toddterrazas.com. Yeah, that's his Twitter. That's his Twitter handle. That's good. As long as people have one way to reach him, that's good. And then his website is joinai.la. There you go. Joinai.la. Some benefits to take out here. So I think that that's fantastic. Moving on to segment four now and an AI resource list. So this is where you can share a handful of your favorite resources in AI. I know that we've asked you to and you have prepared a few ideas. So please go ahead and tell us about them. Yeah. So there's one that's great. It's called AITools.com. So It's a website that categorizes pretty much everything out there. So AITools.com is a great place to kind of discover tools. Twitter, just hashtag AI. There's a lot of incredible pages that you can follow. I need to get better at using Twitter, actually. I am more about Instagram. So I follow a lot of tech and AI pages on Instagram. And if you go to the top right of the profile and click the button, you can actually favorite it or star it. And when you star it, those pages will populate on your home screen. So on my feed is a lot of really incredible resources about new tools and technologies that are emerging with AI. I just discovered Tweet Hunter. It's a tool where it uses AI to help you structure copy for tweets and you can also schedule them. So you can generate tweets and then schedule them at different times throughout the week. So if you want to kind of have a foundation of tweets that are going to be populating to your feed, consistently, you can do that. And then you can at least have that foundation. And then you can pepper in your own organic tweets on top of that. But at least there'll be something living there all the time that you won't have to worry about. So that's a great tool that I just discovered. A runway is another incredible tool. You can generate three second videos from text. And if you have a video already to use as a prompt, it will generate a 15 second video. That technology is only going to get better. There's so many things happening. It's hard to keep up with all of them. We're currently creating, with the help of this incredible coder named Joshua, a dashboard that pulls in a lot of the different tools that we're using to automate the back end of Temple and the organization so that we can have kind of like a bird's eye view scope of everything and be able to see everything in one place from influencers to how influencer contents with ROI is on that, ticket sales are, where marketing ads are going. We're really looking to optimize everything that we're doing with AI. It's a very exciting time. And to everyone that's afraid of AI, unfortunately, it's here to stay. And my advice to you would be to educate yourself and start learning how to use it. AI is not going to replace you. People using AI will. So that's just the hard ma- That's just hard facts. I want to create the possibility that AI can come in and take care of all the tedious infrastructure of powering our society. And through those jobs that AI is replacing, we'll be able to create a universal income that will be able to pay everyone a living wage and we can have a comfortable life. So 
that's the possibility that I'm creating out in the world, but like, we'll see what happens. But as far as tools and resources, you had given a great example before, and maybe you can, can sort of repeat it here. And I thought it was good in, in regard to the writers and the writer strike that happens to be going on right now. It's June of 2023. And there's a writer strike going on in entertainment industry in Hollywood. And you had said something that I found fascinating. You talked about to what perspective writers might consider having, because a lot of the strike is about putting some reins around AI and its usage. And I'll try and paraphrase, but you'll be able to say it a lot better. What you said was, instead of trying to protect that, it might be more powerful for the writers to learn how to get 1,000 times more productive by utilizing it. Exactly. Yeah. So I actually, through doing empower.guru and giving 15 minutes of knowledge to people, I've gotten actually some side consulting gigs with one producer in Hollywood, actually, who came to me because he knew nothing about AI. And I sat down with him for about an hour and a half and completely blew his mind. I came up with a new title for his show. I came up with a plot. I broke down episodes. I basically kind of did what would take him and a writer's team to do in a week or longer, an hour and a half. So it completely blew his mind. And I was joking with friends. I mean, you kind of have to make light of things in these times. You can't be so serious. But if I was a writer in Hollywood, what I would be doing right now was I'd be using mid-journey to generate what it would take me a month to do in a day or a week. You can iterate dozens of ideas. It's been cool. For instance, we, me and Paul love AI. We have a monitor up and we kind of go in a lot and we came up with a marketing plan for our organization that Genghis Khan and another ancient leader, how they would have tackled what we're doing. I thought last night, how cool it'd be to like have a Mozart character review or critique a modern song and have that as an article for like a blog. But like, as far as the writers, AI is not going anywhere. And the people that decide to use AI are going to ultimately have an advantage. So that's just the hard truth. If you're a visionary, don't fear it know that you're going to become even more powerful if you learn how to use it. This goes back about probably four or five months. As fast as we're growing, that's a lifetime ago in AI. But I saw an ad for a job from a major corporation looking for an expert prompter. On LinkedIn, there's all sorts of people looking for prompt engineers right now. Yep. So it's really come a long way. So segment four, we're going to talk about AI tips, but you kind of just handled it talking about marketing and other things. Is there anything we left out on that that you'd like to mention? I mean, think of chat GPT as your own personal whatever. I've used it as a lawyer to draft up contracts. I've used it to write bios, press releases, marketing strategies. It's really limitless if you really like think of it as a person. And it's important to be literal, but then also organic and really kind of think of it as you're talking to an actual human and that you're not just putting something as an input because the way you structure the input material really has this incredibly important effect in what is generated by the machine. I want to put a little asterisk near that. Those are all fantastic use cases. And the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. But do know it's not always correct. So you just can't take what's spit out and just assume it's AI, so it's wonderful and perfect. And even just last week, I read the first article about some attorneys getting sanctioned by the judge because their brief cited case law that never existed. And it turned out they used, they used AI, and it, that's what came out. So they submitted it. And so 
it's not all ready for prime time. And that's why it does take an expert to be using it now to learn more and more, but certainly double check all facts. Yes, definitely. I use it as a writing partner. So I'll write something, it will give me something back and then I'll read it, I'll edit it, review it, and then put it through it again. So I never take anything at face value coming out and I always edit it at least once or twice but yeah, it's really fantastic for... I'm, I'm actually working on... Well, it's another thing that I kind of sidebarred, but I have a really cool idea for a TV series and I'm using AI to help create it. Fantastic. We're about to close out, but I want to leave it open for you, Galen. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you would like to share with the listeners before we do close? I would just like to emphasize that we are living in exciting times and to not put intention into worrying about the negative outcome of what could come to be, but focusing on all the positivity and beautiful things that we can co-create together with this new powerful tool that we have at our disposal. Fantastic. So in closing, where can listeners go to learn more about you and the projects that you're working on? Right now, I'm on Twitter at Galen Oaks, G-A-L-E-N-O-A-K-E-S. Also, please follow Future Factory at Future Factory LA. We have a Discord. We're having incredible events. We have a lot of really incredible partnerships and collaborations in the works. We have a lifetime membership right now available for One Ethereum. That lifetime membership gives you access to as many yoga events you want to attend, as many music events that you want to attend, as many art events, the co-working space. It's an incredible value. When you think about what you get for that initial investment of around $1,800 today, the price will be going up as we get more traction. And I'm actually, this is also up for discussion, but after we sell the first 1,111, I think we're going to close the public sale and open up a future list where you'll have to answer type form questions, questionnaires. I really want to know that we're creating a community of people that if you have the lifetime access, that you're on the same mission as us as co-creating a future that we can all be proud of. Phenomenal. And that's really fantastic. All right. It's time for another safe landing at our outer edges of the AI universe for today. This is your captain, Ron Levy. And on behalf of our guest, and of course, the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for choosing to voyage with us today. We wish you a safe and enjoyable continuation of your own journey. When you come back aboard, make sure to bring a friend. Our starship is always ready for some more adventures. Head over to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us, and share your thoughts. Your support and feedback mean the world to us. Don't forget to visit edgeofai.co to learn more. Connect with us on all major social platforms by reaching for edgeof underscore AI and join the exciting conversations happening online. Before we can sign off, mark your calendars for our next voyage where we'll continue to unravel the mysteries and the advancements of AI. Until then, we'll see you later. We hope you enjoyed today's Edge of AI podcast episode, number two with Galen Oaks. Stick around for five minutes and get your dose of current events in today's Edge of AI dispatch segment, powered by Metaverse Post, your source for the latest news in cutting edge tech and AI. Today, we'll cover the stabilizing AI stock market, big tech's AI investments, Google's Project IDX for AppDev, Microsoft's AI and blockchain announcement, and bans on generative AI. The AI stock market is stabilizing after a period of rapid growth. 
the biggest AI stocks saw a slight decline in stock prices during the last week. AI stocks have been soaring since the launch of ChatGPT, but they may be signaling a plateau in the current market. Stabilization is likely due to a number of factors, including the market is starting to price in the risks associated with AI, such as the potential for job displacement and misuse of AI for malicious purposes. Some investors are concerned that the AI bubble is about to burst, and there is a growing number of AI companies, which is making it more difficult for any one company to dominate the market. Big tech companies are investing heavily in AI R&D, with a focus on generative AI. Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, and Microsoft are all making significant investments with the goal of developing new products and services that can take advantage of this powerful tech. Aptos and Microsoft have announced a partnership to combine AI and blockchain technology. The partnership will focus on developing new tools and services that make it easier for developers to build decentralized applications on the Aptos blockchain. One of the key tools that will be developed under the partnership is a chatbot called Aptos Assistant. Chatbot will be powered by Microsoft's Azure OpenAI service and will be able to answer user questions about the Aptos ecosystem and provide resources to developers who are building dApps on Aptos. Aptos is also integrating its native programming language Move with GitHub's Copilot service. Copilot is an AI programming tool that can help developers write code more quickly and accurately. The integration of Move and Copilot will make it easier for developers to write secure and reliable smart contracts on the Aptos blockchain. Aptos and Microsoft will also explore the use of blockchain tech for financial services. Google has announced Project IDX, a new web-based coding workspace that's designed to streamline the process of app development and launch. Project IDX offers a number of features that are aimed at making app development more efficient and productive, including scalability and security of cloud tech, versatility, tools to optimize application performance across multiple platforms, and generative AI capabilities. Project IDX is still in beta, but it's already generating a lot of excitement among developers. If you're interested in testing it out, you can join the waitlist. Preamble has joined NVIDIA Inception a program that helps startups grow by providing them access to NVIDIA's tech, expertise, and network. This is a major development for Preamble as it will give the company the resources it needs to develop its technology and reach more customers. NVIDIA Inception is a well-respected program with a proven track record of success, and Preamble is joining a cohort of other promising startups that are using AI to solve some of the world's most pressing problems. Startup is working to ensure that AI is developed and used in a way that's safe, ethical, and inclusive. DID, a generative AI video content platform and AI voice technology company Eleven Labs, have announced a partnership to combine their generative AI tools. The partnership will allow users of DID's Creative Reality Studio to create videos with a more natural speech option by using nine of Eleven Labs' premium AI-generated voices. It has the potential to revolutionize the way we create and consume video content. A new report by BlackBerry reveals that organizations worldwide are increasingly banning ChatGPT and other generative AI applications due to concerns about data security, privacy, and corporate reputation. The report, based on a survey of 2,000 IT decision makers from eight countries, found that 75% of respondents are either implementing or considering bans on these apps within their workspaces. Reloom, a Sydney-based startup, has released the first-ever AI-powered website builder that exports to Figma and Webflow. The 
platform enables users with no experience to easily develop websites by inserting prompts. Once built, individuals can export the ready sites into Figma or Webflow. It's an exciting development as Reloom makes it possible for anyone to create a professional-looking website without having to learn to code. That's it for Edge of AI Dispatch today, your source for the latest news in cutting-edge tech and artificial intelligence. This new segment has been powered by Metaverse Post. Tune in next time for targeted coverage of the most compelling stories in markets, industry, and culture. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of AI reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. While we make every effort to ensure that the information about AI technology is accurate and up-to-date, we cannot guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or timeliness. We make no representations or warranties of any kind with respect to the information, products, or services discussed. Please be aware AI may occasionally generate incorrect or misleading information and produce offensive or biased content. Under no circumstances shall we be liable for any loss or damage, including without limitation, indirect or consequential loss or damage, or any loss or damage arising from loss of data or profits arising out of or in connection with the use of technology discussed on our podcast. Additionally, our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. Lastly, time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of these links. Refer to our website, edgeofai.xyz, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, privacy policy, and copyright notice.